yes, that was me coughing through the intercessory prayer. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for keeping me in your prayers about my knee. Um, a lot of people have wondered what it's about, so I'll just share a little bit of it. Um, I have a blog post that I can send the link to if anyone wants to read it, but um, it's an old injury that I got in college, and over these 10 plus years, it has just slowly gotten worse, so my ACL is gone, according to my doctor, and the meniscus is torn as well, so my kneecap likes to explore the other areas around my knee, so <clears throat> this surgery will hopefully um, heal that, so... Yeah, but it's good to be with you um, and just catch up and see what's new and all of those things. Um, yeah, so it's been a while since I've been with you, but I don't know if it's specifically around here, but the past few years I've had friends and strangers who tell me, all in different words, that they have lost hope in this world. And when this happens, half of me is like, awesome, congrats, I'm so excited for you. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> and, you know, it's because I like to be idyllic. And I'm like, good, you have your hope in Jesus, awesome. I'm so glad it's not here. Great, congrats. Uh, but, you know, there's the other part of us that's a little more cynical or realistic that is really sad for them. Um, they have been traumatized by the evil in this world and have nowhere to turn for hope. And it especially breaks my heart when it's young ones that share these things with me. They may have been hurt by a parent. Um, a, third grader, a third grader wants to end their life because they were excluded at school. A teen has never had a healthy relationship with his father and doesn't understand how a father can be good. Another teen believes that if only blank she would be loved. And this only breaks my heart, but it gets worse as we get older, right? I have friends who don't want to have children because they don't want to bring them into this world that will hurt them. A family member gets a diagnosis that feels like a death sentence, and there's a chance you could lose them. Other people my age are not getting married because there's nothing special about marriage and all they hear from their married friends is how awful it is and the hard parts and their advice to their single friends is don't get married. I know some who are storing up supplies in their home because they believe there's nothing good left in this world. They look at the world headlines and they catch the fear. They lay down the gift of hope and peace for a gift of fear, hustle, and scarcity. Where I have found peace and hope it has been in history. It started in, I mean, surely it started in my childhood, but it really started when I was in high school and I took AP US history. Take that class and you're like, oh, all of this has happened before. Okay, cool. But because of my relationship with Jesus, because that relationship in my life is my number one, I look to church history and the word of God for hope. God is a jealous God, and he commanded us never to put anyone else in our lives above him. I cannot, in good conscience, put my faith in other people above what I look for from God. And this is what I pray we share at camp 
um, especially this summer, because I don't want any more kids growing up without knowing that there is an option for hope again. Here are where they are, if only they would seek and ask for it. <clears throat> so the main image we used for this design for this summer is an anchor. And for those of you who don't, you know, maybe you're land-faring and you don't know what an anchor does, this video is going to show us um, what it is. So this is just a big ship in the sea. And you'll see at the tip of the ship is where the anchor hangs out until it is put down. And it goes down into the bottom. That gravity, that's why the anchors are so heavy. <laughs> they, gravity pulls it down to the very, very bottom of the ocean or the lake or the pond. And it gets down into that ground, that sea bottom. And you have to give it a little bit of, little, little bit of extra just so that it kind of digs deep in. And this is what it looks like. <clears throat> the harder you pull on it, it penetrates even more into the soil. And even when there's an increase in wind, that's what holds it to that spot. And the anchor is designed that it pulls it even harder into the ground so that it's an even stronger bond, an even stronger hold on where it's at. <clears throat> and then, even when the boat changes direction, because the wind usually does change direction, doesn't always pull from the same area, it just kind of hangs out in that, in that ground, and it still holds. And then, when it's recovered, they pull it up. Sometimes it's automated, but sometimes you have to pull it up. And then it comes out pretty easy. And so the person in the boat, the boat is in control of how far that anchor goes down, how deep it goes in to its hold, and when they choose to take it out. So that's how an anchor works, if you didn't know. Now, as I was preparing for this summer, um, I remembered this anchor um, was a big message for our community when I lived here, when Kara was battling years ago. It was a theme for the youth group for a year. It was used, it still is used on so many rugs and mats and cups and sweatshirts and merch that churches and youth organizations use all over the world. And some of these scriptures, our Christianese makes us gloss over what the scriptures actually say. It's just nice to say that little, little phrase and then not really think more about it. And it actually might come to mean something different than what it was originally meant to <laughs> convey to the original audience. So because of all of this, we're looking at the passage today from a variety of angles. First, we'll start with a wide view, zoom in, and then zoom back out again before I give, your, give you your assignment at the end. But first, a definition. So hope, confident trust in the expectation of fulfillment. You are a hopeful person if, someone who is, if you are someone who is anticipating a future that is better than the present. Living in a state of anticipation, living this way, Fun fact, is crucial to survival. There are two names in Hebrew for hope. Yakal, 
which means to wait for, like waiting for flood waters to recede after the ark and the flood. And then there's kavah, which means to wait. And a kav cord is something they had back then. And when you pull a cord tight, you produce tension. And something that I'm still not great at, um, but I'm working on getting better comfortable with tension because there's a healthy amount of tension that we are called to live in this life with. Um, and some of us, we kind of tend to, you know, veer away from that tension because it's uncomfortable. And that's kind of the point. Um, we are constantly caught, there's this idea out there that we are constantly caught between our earthly home and our heavenly home in Eden with God. So the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> we don't exactly know who wrote it. There are many guesses, but all we know for sure is that it is anchored in what the apostles were teaching. So those first disciples, what they were teaching to those that followed them. It was written to a people who had a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures because those were those are mentioned throughout the book of Hebrews haphazardly, just like, yeah, you know this? Okay, good. So they're just assuming that you know these things. It mentions Abraham, Moses, the wandering in the desert. Um, one camper did catch on that last year's theme was joy in the wilderness, and we were talking about Moses in the desert, and this scripture points back to Moses too, and they're like, did you do that on purpose? It's like, yeah, yeah, I did. They called me the um, Taylor Swift writer of curriculum, which is really fun. But my other favorite name that campers call me is Babushka Queen, which, fun fact, in Russian, that means elderly woman. So <laughs> thank you, kids. That's another story for another time. Um, so these people were facing persecution from their faith, from their friends, from their family. Their family was hunting them down. Neighbors, some were being thrown in prison. So I want you to picture yourself being thrown in prison right now. Focus on what that feels like, that betrayal, that fear, that danger that you're in. This was not just someone who had left a bad comment on social media or spread a rumor about them or they were in a disagreement with a friend or ignored them as they walked by. Maybe that happened, but that wasn't necessarily the case of what was actually happening to these Hebrews. They were legit being physically persecuted. So with all that in mind, we come to Hebrews. And there's two main goals that the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey. So to elevate Jesus as superior above all others, so above angels, above Moses, above Abraham, above priests, all of these things that the world had kept on high pedestals. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, they shouldn't be there. God should be the only one on your pedestal. And then two, to challenge the reader to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. And so the beginning of chapter 6 in Hebrews um, is a reminder to not fall away. And so it's standing strong when every human piece of you wants to give up the fight because you're tired, angry, physically exhausted, and you want life to just be quiet again. And I don't believe we're called to a quiet life. So just a few things in this beginning of six, um, starts a little bit in five. There's so much more that we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. It did not, you know, shy away from saying hard things. That's so fun to read. 
beginning of 6. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. And then down further, it says, Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. So that's all leading us up to this actual text that we're studying from this morning. And the first few um, verses are on this screen. So when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham was see- received what he had promised. It's what Kendall read for us earlier. And we received what God had promised. And that was Jesus. Jesus was God's promise to us. And every single promise that God has promised has been fulfilled. He kept his word. He is someone that we can trust. It might not come right away. I think there was 30-ish years from when God said, made this promise to him until he actually had a descendant. And so Abraham had to wait patiently for 30 years, 30-ish years. And he received what he had been promised. And so our first day at camp, this is what it was. Our first Monday, we focused on God's promises bring hope. Jesus is God's promise, and he brings us hope. So what does it feel like when someone breaks their promise to you? What about when they keep it? These were the things that we challenged campers to think about. And then we went on to 16. Jesus is our lighthouse among the rocks. Jesus is God's promise, and he brings us hope. So people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. So in the storms of life, we read the scripture about how Jesus calms the sea. He calms waters. In the storms of life, Jesus is the calm. Just like the lighthouse in the sea, when we keep our eyes on him, he leads us safely to shore. And one thing we focused on is the lighthouse is stationary. It never moves. And in a world that is full of movement, that is something very reassuring for us, that God never moves. He's always been there, and he always will be. And then we went on to um, the next bit of Hebrews, so 17 and 18. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to his heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So some of us may only know of an oath of how it's used in courtrooms. And so it's not just a promise. It's, it's promising on someone else, someone else that you hold to high regard. And you're saying, because I believe in this person, I make an oath to you. So it's even higher than a promise. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So Jesus came down to earth to connect us back to God. 
Because of this, we can have peace with God. And that's the rope connecting us. Now the key to keeping the rope connected to the boat is actually tying it securely. And that's our task. That hope is there. If the anchor is in the water and we're not connected to it, it doesn't do us much good. And so our job is to stay connected to it. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. But we have to make sure we hold securely because if we don't hold securely and check on it every once in a while, if we just say like, oh, I did all this work on my faith, I'm good, I don't really need to do anything more with it, then the rope might get, you know, old and crusty and weak, and then we need to reinforce it. So we're constantly having to check on it and strengthen it. We have to be on guard. And then we come to what our theme verse was, this first um, sentence. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. And we learned that Jesus is our safe and secure anchor in messy times. His strength and trustworthiness gives us confidence to have faith in him. And this is when we got to our Thursday night fire and we read the scripture that um, Hannah read about how when Jesus died, when he gave up his spirit, the veil was torn in two. And that's what Hebrews is referring to here. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, for those of you who don't know who Melchizedek is, he was the priest during the time of Moses. So the priests came from the line of Aaron. They were assigned to offer sacrifices to God to cover the sins of other people. Because the priests were flawed, they were constantly having to make their own sacrifices and sacrifices for other people. So it wasn't necessarily a very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily the best way to do things. And so Jesus was that something more that God promised us. So Melchizedek was a mysterious priest during the time of Moses. We don't hear from him or about him that much, which also makes him mysterious. So it's Genesis 14 and Psalms 110 from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is in that order, in that grouping. So Jesus is that ultimate priest king, morally morally flawless, eternally available for his people, and the superior to all other humans and beings. So if you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the only way to reconciliation. The sacrifice on the cross is better than any sacrifices priests have ever made. And when he enters into that curtain, that's why that curtain was closed. He was like, we're not going to have this anymore. Back then, the priests were the only one that could enter into, through that curtain, they were the only ones that could be in the presence of God. And Jesus is like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Everybody can be in the presence of God because of my sacrifice that I made, Jesus. And so this is why I always tell the kids, this is important why anytime you're reading something in the Bible and they point to an old scripture, there's like a little number and then you look down at the bottom of your Bible, it's important to go back to that scripture and see what it says because it puts everything kind of into context in what we're reading. And that's really why I love the word of God, because there are so many cross-references that just solidify that he really does know what's going on at all times and knows what's going to happen in the future. And it calms my anxious heart daily and reminds me to hope. 
Easter eggs of future events everywhere. So Jesus is our safe and secure anchor in messy times. Also, these warning passages, you'll remember a little bit earlier, they don't necessarily shy away from saying the hard things. And so these warning passages that the writer of Hebrews is bringing to the Hebrews is saying, this is going to make you uncomfortable. This is going to challenge you. And that's kind of the point. They are not there to make you feel afraid. Rejecting Jesus is foolish because he's awesome. But if you're not a little bit uncomfortable, then you might not be open to correction or mistakes that you've made. My hope is never gone because Jesus is never gone. God can turn my trouble, my mistakes, all of the awful things that I replay in my mind at the end of the night, being like, oh, why did I do it that way? should have done it this way. God can turn that trouble or those struggles into a valley of blessing. And God's past faithfulness, we have that. That's why we have the Bible. We can see how he was faithful in the past to his people. That's what brings us hope for the future. By learning from the past, we can look forward. And this is not biblical optimism waiting on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future. We look back at Jesus to be able to look forward. And so we're going to watch this video again. How's our faith work? Oop, I clicked it too quick. So think about that boat is us and our faith journey. We're out there on the, in the world just kind of floating around until we have something that we hold on to that gives us hope. The hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. When we grab onto that hope, when we believe that it's going to hold us steady, that's when we release it and we know that it will take hold and we'll be able to trust it. No matter what kind of ground is there, no matter what kind of waves are around, it's going to hold us tight. And every time that we spend time with the Lord, that we recognize, that we remember that we are in God's presence, that we can be invited into that anytime we ask for it, we just secure that hold even more. It's holding on. So even when the winds come, and the world tries to change our direction, it's going to hold fast. We're going to be secure in that hope that we don't have to be moved from where God wants us to be. But if we ever <clears throat> forget to prioritize our faith, if we say, you know what, I don't need this anchor anymore. You know, I think I got it covered on my own. Then that's like us pulling up the anchor. The anchor isn't going to do its job anymore if we don't ask it to. Because that's why God gave us free will, right? It's our choice to follow him. He's not going to make us follow him. He's not a God that's going to just say, like, I'm going to make you do this. It's our choice. And we get to choose whether we hold on to that hope or whether we let go of it. <clears throat> and so my favorite testimony 
from this summer comes from a young man who had been coming to camp for years, and it was there when he met God for the first time in a campfire. Years later, after wrestling and studying and asking the hard questions, and let's be honest, he rebelled a little bit. At that same campfire site, he turned to me afterwards and said, Ashley, God just told me it's time that I be baptized here at Menno Haven. Now, baptizing a new committed believer in that water was just a completely sacred experience. But the biggest part for me was that I knew some of his story. He had shared it with me. He had struggled with me. And just how much he was comforted, even though he had big doubts with faith, and he pushed through them. I know a lot of people not brave enough to wrestle with those questions. And he came to me and his pastors back home with those questions and used the best resources he had to wrestle with that doubt and confusion within him. I am so incredibly proud of him and that just super grateful to play a small role in his journey with the Lord. And I want to share a piece of his reflection that he wrote at the end of the summer. God's glory, God's almighty power, These are phrases we hear often, especially in a church setting and amongst the Christ-followed people, focused people of our lives. We certainly can hear about the glorious and powerful things that God has done. God sent his son to be crucified. God parted the Red Sea through Moses. God sent a flood to wipe away the scrounge of the earth. And perhaps most awe-inspiring, God commanded that the world should be created, and it was. These are wonderful stories. They really are. They seem to convey these aspects of God and do so thoughtfully and in a way that draws many Christians into the teachings found in the Bible. And they're true. We can imagine how a God who can do these things really must be powerful and glorious. But what if you could see it for yourself? And that's what's so great about Menohaven. This place is so unlike any other. It truly is a sanctuary for all God's people. Menohaven is a spiritual mountain, a conduit for worship of the Lord. While you may not be ascending to a literal mountain as you drive there, as soon as you hit these 231 holy acres, you can feel how close you are to the presence of God. It's no surprise, then, that as a staff in recent years, and a first-time camper almost a decade ago, that I have felt my faith grow and blossom on these spiritual slopes, just as those many thousands of campers and guest groups and staff have observed before me. It then also comes as no surprise that I ache for this place. Menohaven wraps itself around me and drives me back to it, no matter where I am in life, physically or spiritually. Therefore, every rock, every blade of grass, every camper, every friend, every building, and every itty-bitty bug I rest my eyes upon here lets me see, in no uncertain terms, the glory and power of the Lord. I had the opportunity one day, stuck inside as a result of bad air quality, to sit down and crack open the Menohaven 50-year anniversary book. It blew my mind how there were other Christians like me who called this place holy, their spiritual home, at one point. But it wasn't until a friend and guest speaker I had the joy of listening to this summer reminded me of the great truth that this place is a beacon of prayer. If you ever wondered what almost 65 years of straight consecrated prayer looks like, come to Menohaven and feel it, taste it, see it. Menohaven to me is like a foot in the door of the house of the Lord, 
that allows the glory and power of God to reach me. Out of all of the times I can remember speaking to God and hearing his voice, it wouldn't be a stretch to say the vast majority have been in this place. Ever since I was in junior high camper, I've had experiences with God's voice and image here. Part of that reason why spiritual sight is so important to me because that is the way I can know him. During Adventure Week camp all those years ago, I saw firmly in the fire the face of God. I saw him there and have ever since had a special relationship with fire as the way I imagine the power of God. In fact, that's partially the reason I came back as a summer staff. I just knew I had to work maintenance, typically the ones who makes the fire, so that I could use these hands that God blessed me to create his image for all other staff and campers to see. Menohaven is where my faith journey really started. I had many I had made the fire one night for our cottontail closing campfire when all of a sudden, after looking deep into the molten orange coals at the very eye of the fire, I felt compelled to drop to my knees right there and begin to pray. God's voice rushed like a raging river through my head, and he said, my son, my child, it is time. Before coming to Menohaven that summer, I had been thinking about baptism throughout the school year and resolved to be baptized at Menohaven. But my spiritual connection here, but I didn't know the right time. That took care of it. My prayers about when to get baptized were answered. I was baptized at Menohaven Lake next to the boat dock the Saturday before junior high campers arrived, and my faith took off from there. So come and see. Come and see. Come and see what God has done in this place. So to be clear, I don't think Menohaven's the only place that God uses to connect with his beloved children. Every body of believers has an opportunity to create this space where they are. We need these havens to weather storms because that is where we feel in our soul what having an anchor feels like. In the storms of life, this hope serves as an anchor for the soul. As certain as if it was already happening, as if it had already happened, keeps us from drifting on the wild waves of doubt and despair. The anchor is not cast in shifting sands of this world, but takes hold in the heavenly sanctuary. Since our hope is the anchor, the meaning is that our hope is secured in God's very presence, behind the veil. Just as sure as the anchor is there, we shall be there also. So you know I always give a challenge. No matter how long you've been pursuing your relationship with Jesus, you're going to need to get real honest with God here. I'm not saying you have to tell anybody else. If you want to tell someone, you can. But I want you to ask yourself these hard questions and really get honest with yourself. What area of my life, my soul, have I lost hope? What have I been telling myself to just gloss over, but in reality, I've kind of lost hope in it? What am I doing about it? Would your best friend say you carry hope daily? And I think it's good for all of us to ask ourselves these questions because that's the only way that we continue wrestling. The song we're going to sing, it starts off with, in my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. He is our safe and secure anchor. And I hope that each one of us can feel the depth of that. 
today and into the future. So, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word. We can be tempted to believe that everything is new, but if we look to your word, and if we really study it, we see that there's nothing new under the sun. You know everything that's happening. You know all of the temptations. You know all of the struggles. You know everything behind us and up ahead. And because of that, you know what we need in each moment. And that is why, because you promised that you would send your son, and you did, we can trust that you will be there for us too. We can trust that when we hold on to hope, it's the anchor that our souls need in hard times. And so I ask for each of us, in whatever way we need to grab hold of hope again, in whatever area of our lives we need that, I ask that we do that. Help us, show us how to do that, and help us to know what to do next, because we know that you will provide. And so we're going to choose to hope today. And tomorrow we're going to choose to hope too. Be with us as we continue to battle and to sail safely. In your name we pray, amen.